0: going to look at Matthew chapter 6 today and we're going to sort of jump around this section of Matthew at several different uh, passages we'll look at but we'll start in Matthew chapter 6 and verse uh, 31 is where we'll begin and as you are turning there Again, I've got the uh, fun job they give me each year. I, I get to have a couple of weeks uh, off from being in the pulpit, which is uh, nice and refreshing. Good to plan the new year and get focused in on some of the different ministries. But then, then they say we we need the closer. We got to bring in the closer, the relief pitcher. So, um, so he, here I am, and that's uh, that's part of my my job. And I want us to, and, and something I enjoy having the opportunity to do, which is to say. In light of what we've been hearing about missions, whether that's something we've been hearing about for 10 years in this church and maybe 10 or 20 or 30 years in other churches, or whether this is the first time we've heard some about that and about God's call related to it, uh, we are invited to respond. Right? God's word's not simply written for our information, it's written for our transformation right meant to change us and I think as we look at Matthew 6 you'll see where I'm headed but the main thing that I want us to take from today hopefully is a greater vision for the kingdom of God a greater vision for eternal life and as we think about those two realities the kingdom of God and eternal life which certainly intersect and overlap what does that mean for you and for me in terms of praying, sending, and going for missions. Okay, that's where we're headed. So read along with me a couple of verses from Matthew chapter 6, starting verse 31. I'll read them aloud, and you all can read along silently. In the middle of uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount here, He says this, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Let's pray again together. Father, I pray for my own heart, and I pray for each heart here that you will enable us more and more today to seek first your kingdom. Oh, Lord, we can't uh, generate that passion in ourselves. We need your grace to propel us towards it. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come, that you would move, that you would speak even through this message and show us fresh ways that we might pray, we might send, and we might go. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I think two words will suffice to help us enter in today to this theme of what the reality of eternal life and what the kingdom of God means and how it relates to our call in missions as a church and as individuals. Two words. Kobe and coronavirus. Two words that we saw this week, right? Right? that we thought about, that hit us in our hearts in some way, probably brought some uh, sadness, probably brought some fear, probably brought some confusion as well, right? All I got to do is say those two words, Kobe, coronavirus. As some of us, one of them affected maybe more than, than others, but makes us feel certain things. Hopefully, those two words make us think certain things as well. Probably most of us think about, when we hear those two words, about life and about death. Maybe think about eternal life and about this life. Maybe, probably think about, where does my ultimate security come from? Is there an anchor that I can grab hold of and have confidence in, when I hear about things that scare me, that frighten me, that cause fear, sadness, confusion. We are people that, whether we think about it or not, are concerned with kingdom. Now, we might be concerned with our own little kingdom. That was fascinating. Thunder and lightning. This is, I mean, I'm not up on the mountain bringing down the Ten Commandments, but all right, if, we're, if the Lord wants to bring it, let's just bring it. We're people mindful about eternal life. I mean, that's okay, man, I like it. I kind of like the, the theme music, the theme thunder. And we're people that are concerned about eternal life, even if we don't think about it that way. Part of what we're doing when we're trying to accumulate stuff in this life if we're doing that, we're not always doing that out of a sinful motivation, but when we're doing that beyond just what we need for our provision and for our life, then in a sense, we're trying to push back this reality, right? Of death. We're trying to find eternal life in the things of this life. Our passage definitely challenges us with that today. And maybe we can take this main idea with us today that as we seek first the kingdom of God, God knows all that you and I need so we can pray, send, and go. Okay, so... Transformed by the gospel, captured by this reality that we're fallen and lost people, but God has chosen to love us in Christ and cherished us through him. We've been adopted into his family. Then we are people that want to seek the kingdom of God. We say, no, my, my life in my kingdom is too small for me. It's the reason I'm anxious. It's the reason I'm confused. It's the reason I'm depressed. It's the reason I'm struggling. A part of that is because my kingdom is too small just myself. And part of that is because we forget that He knows all that we need. He knows all we need, and He will provide it. If that's true, then we can engage our time more fruitfully in the ministry and in a movement of prayer. We can engage our resources more significantly than we tend to for the propelling of God's kingdom and we can even consider that maybe in some form or fashion you and I should be going and of course as Shawnee did a good job sharing with the children we ought to be going in terms of sharing the gospel with our friends and neighbors but I'm talking about going going I'm talking about leaving what you're normally doing and going to a new situation, maybe starting one of these ministries that we've heard about the last few weeks locally that are having influence or maybe engaging more time and energy and volunteering with those. I won't come without sacrifice. Maybe praying and seriously thinking about and desiring even that God would send our young people to go to places in far off lands to share the gospel and maybe ourselves even going to such places and lands. I think it's interesting to think about how our perception, and I hope this will be clear as we journey through this message this morning. I think it's interesting to think about our perception of eternal life and how that ties in with the kingdom of God and how it ties in with praying, sending, and going. I've mentioned before that uh, my wife, Patience, and I have been reading through this book, Forever, by Paul David Tripp. I guess I'm on a Paul David Tripp kick. Uh, the subtitle is, Why You Can't Live Without It. Forever, Why You Can't Live Without It. And I would subtitle it for our purposes today, Forever, Why You Won't Be Mobilized for Missions Without It. Right? Right? And so my argument is going to be today that unless we understand the kingdom of God, and particularly unless we grasp that our forever is secured by the eternal God, and we have this delightful place that we're going, and we want other people to come to that wonderful place called heaven, then we won't be mobilized for missions. Unless that's our passion, unless that's our driving force. Our author Tripp introduced it this way, and I'm going to read a good bit from the first uh, couple of pages of his book, so hang with me here. And his goal is, I think, to try to get us to think broadly about the idea of eternal life. So I'm gonna I'm gonna track with him and then we'll draw some specific applications for missions and praying, sending, and going. He starts out this way. Why is it so hard for us to be satisfied? Why do so many of our marriages struggle over the long run? Why do we have such a hard time getting along with family and friends? Why do we carry around so much debt? Why do we stand in front of full closets and say we have nothing to wear? Why do we look into fully stocked refrigerators and say we have nothing to eat? Why do so many of us consistently spend more than we earn? Why do we struggle with so much envy? Why does our culture tend to be over-drugged and over-sexed? Why do we spend so much on making sure that we're incessantly entertained? Why do our trials paralyze us more than they should? Why do people disappoint us so easily? Why does life in the here and now never seem to deliver what we hoped it would deliver? Good questions, aren't they? He begins to answer he says why where do you go where do you look for answers like this what helps you to understand life we all want to do it we're all investigators trying to solve the mystery that's our own life we all ask questions we all search for answers at times not knowing and not understanding doesn't bother us because we're locked in in our busy schedules distracted by the details of life, and thankful that our life is comfortable at the moment. At other times, not knowing is painful. Scary. Because we're facing something we can't ignore, but are unable to make sense of. Where do you look for meaning and purpose, he asks. What do you reach out to to give that inner rest and well-being that every one of us seeks? What unpacks and explains life for you? All of us want to think that what we believe is true. All of us want to think that we are living the way it is meant to life, the way it is meant to be lived, and are prepared for what is to come. But the evidence is that many of us aren't. The evidence is all around us. Something is wrong. The Tripp gives a diagnosis of this, and he says, the thing that's wrong is that we are eternity amnesiacs. Right? Amnesia, forgetting who you are. Eternity amnesiacs, we've forgotten who we are. He goes on and explains why he writes this book. He says, I want to help you understand our stories and yours from the unique perspective of forever so that you would begin to understand the unshakable promise of the future grace of eternity does more than give you hope for the future. No, he says, embedded in the promise of a future, listen to this, because it has everything to do with whether our hearts and minds and lives and resources will be engaged engaged with missions. He says, embedded in the promise of a future is the guarantee of grace for what you're facing right here, right now. You see, the God of eternity enters your story in the here here and now, or He couldn't guarantee your future. And that makes all the difference in the world. He finishes the first chapter with this paragraph. The story of the Bible doesn't end with this world that we are living in right now. What would seem like the last chapter of death isn't really the last chapter of God's story. The Bible welcomes and even requires you to face the inescapable reality of life after death. This present life is not all there is. There is a forever on the other side of this life. Eternity is not a mystical creation of overly spiritual people. Forever is reality. It's the product of God's plan and design. And once you believe in forever and live with forever in view, not only will you understand things you have never understood before, but you will live radically different than you did before. So I invite you, he says, to step off the treadmill of the busy life and consider what life looks like when viewed through the lens of forever. What if this present life is not the destination, but preparation for the final destination? What if you and I have forever hardwired inside of us what if this life really does have consequences in the next? What if human beings were created to live forever? What if you can't make sense of life without eternity? He's good at asking questions, isn't he? <laughs> I he's, he's a counselor guy. I'd be afraid to sit down with him. <laughs> He'd probably mess with me big time, wouldn't he? I think he asked some really vital questions for how we think about our response to this missions month and the first response I want us to have in light of eternity and being reminded I hope of an eternal perspective is that we are invited to pray we're invited to pray and in fact your worship guide I think has it listed go send and pray And I realize we've had that for the last number of years, maybe since we've been doing Missions Month or whatever. And and I don't like it anymore. I don't think it's the right way. It should be listed. So I swapped it up. I swapped it up. The first thing we ought to do is to be praying. Take a look at Matthew chapter 7 and think about how you and I can engage with the work of missions-minded prayer. Verse 7 of Matthew 7, Jesus says, "'Ask, and it will be given to you. "'Seek, and you will find. "'Knock, and it will be opened to you. "'Everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, "'and to the one who knocks it will be open." "'Or which of you,' he gives this little analogy or comparison, "'which of you, if the Son asks him for bread, "'will give him a stone? "'Or if he asks him for a fish, will give him a serpent? "'If you, though you are evil,' know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your father in heaven give good things to those who ask him it's really not a complicated analogy when you think about it Uh, there's obviously some cruel fathers out there but in general saying a father even though we're fallen people as fathers we're evil we know how to give good gifts to our kids right they ask for something we give it. it says how much more our heavenly father will provide what we need. He can provide everything that we need. He can provide all that is needed for the missionaries that are out there. He can provide the comfort and encouragement that they need, the spiritual protection that they need. He can provide the resources. He provides the work of the gospel saving people around you and me here in our own context and halfway across the world. He provides that. That's Matthew 7, Matthew 9 last couple of verses, verse 35 and through 38, says this, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. It's another sermon to note there that Jesus always brought word and deed, right? Always brings word and deed. And if we have eternal focus in our, uh, in, in our kingdom ministry in this life, we will remember both of those things. We won't just go provide water for those that are in need, and we won't just provide the diapers and the care that are needed for the families, as important as those are. But we're also going to bring, like Save a Life does, the eternal life, the message of eternal life, and we're going to make sure our missionaries are sending out with, going out with that message. Back to the passage. Sorry. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. We could camp out on this for a while. That word compassion here, I know I've preached this before, I'll say it again. The meaning in the Greek language is that he was moved from the gut, right? That kind of compassion, gut level concern for the gospel needs, the needs of those around him that they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Can you be more clear than that, right? We ought to pray and pray for missionaries to be sent out and for them to be supported. Well, why don't we pray mindful of the kingdom of God. Well, we don't pray mindful of the kingdom of God because we're so focused, a lot of us, on other kingdoms, the political kingdom, the economic kingdom that we're concerned about, our personal little kingdom, our relational kingdom, what's happening with our friends and those around us. So we we are often not freed up to really engage in kingdom prayer. Uh, We don't pray because we don't realize the important part that our prayer can play. Um, famously, it's been said, you can do more than pray after you pray, but you cannot do more than pray until you pray. So these verses remind us that first step is for us to pray. Ephesians 6, I won't read it because of time, but it reminds us that we're in a battle to put on the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation and all of those things. And that's a wonderful story to tell kids about the Bible, and about fighting for the faith. But remember the whole context of that was the Apostle Paul encouraging the believers to engage in the battle of prayer, the fight of prayer. Piper says it wonderfully in uh, his book here, uh, Let the Nations Be Glad. If you want to read probably one book on missions, I would recommend this one to you, Let the Nations Be Glad. And he's got a whole chapter entitled The Supremacy of God and Missions Through Prayer. You want to learn some more about what we're talking about today, read this. And he says it this way. He says, life is war. That's not all it is, but it is that. Our weakness in prayer is owing largely to our neglect of this truth. Prayer is primarily a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances against the powers of darkness and unbelief. It's not surprising, he says, that prayer malfunctions when we try to make it a domestic intercom to call upstairs for more comforts in the den. God has given us prayer as a wartime walkie talkie so that we can call headquarters for everything we need as the kingdom of Christ advances in the world. Prayer gives us the significance of frontline forces and gives God the glory of a limitless provider. The one who gives the power gets the glory. Thus prayer prayer safeguards the supremacy of God and missions while linking us with endless grace for every need. I love that. I love that. And and I've got a confession to make on this. And I've already talked uh, to some of our church officers about it. And I'm going to be sharing some more in our upcoming elders meeting a week from today. I have done a bad job. Of leading us as a church in a prayer movement mindset. I have not done a good job doing that. I'm thankful for the prayer that we have. I'm thankful for leaders who pray. I'm thankful for you all who are praying, and I'm excited about the prayer that's going on. But if we want to see more happening in the mission of our church right here in Birmingham, Alabama, And if we want to see more happening for the missionaries we support and in and through the missionaries and organizations we support, we got to start getting serious about a movement of prayer, not just the intercom to call down for extra things in the den. Is that true? I think it's true. And I, and I, I confess to you all and apologize that I have not done a better job of that. And I plan for us to go in a a better direction as we move into this year. So prayer. Prayer is vital for the work of missions. We've only got a few minutes, but let me talk about sending. We should pray. We should send. Our little reading from uh, Trip already left us in a place, I imagine, of conviction with that. He talks about extensively how the fact that we don't live for forever means that our default is to accumulate for ourselves, right? The impulse that we have when we get the opportunity for the new job or the increase, uh, compensation, or whatever, is in our fallenness is, what can I do and get for myself? And God wants to bless us. I I don't think we should say, no, God doesn't want to use those things or have us use those things for our enjoyment. But what if... What if the first thing we thought about when we saw additional resources or in order to cut back on some things that we were spending on was not just to get out of our debt or not just to get the new place or the new car, but what if the first thing we thought was, how can I use some of this for the furthering of the gospel globally? Part of the reason we're so empty and the stuff we have leaves us so empty is because we're not engaged in the purpose that we're called to be of global missions. We're in a very, very focused, self-centered thing. So it's not surprising that it won't hold itself up. I'm super thankful for how generous our church is. I look at that total that we put together for the 10 year anniversary of how much that our size church has given to missions. And I say, wow, that is people responding to the gospel. But I also know that some here are missing that opportunity maybe entirely. And others of us, myself included, have maybe got content with the part that we're playing and we're not looking to play a bigger role in that part of things, our missions fund is a separate set of giving, so it's real easy for me as a pastor to get up here and push pretty hard for us to give it because there isn't a dime of that going into my pocket or into any of the sort of local ministry or the ministries of our particular church here. It's all going out the door to the local ministries we support and the missionaries we're involved with. Um, so, I want to challenge you and encourage you to think about what your part would look. We're in a prosperous time in our land. And I'll tell you, folks, I hate to say this because it's going to sound doom and gloom. But we had a prosperous time back in like 2006, 2007. A lot of prosperous stuff going on. And a bunch of people in here remember that time. And then all of a sudden, house gone. Debt. Significant. Oh my goodness. There's so many reasons for us to want to be generous to the kingdom of God and to missions, but at least one should be to be faithful to God so he doesn't choose to discipline us in that way. Again, if we use the stuff that he's given us for his glory, man, he will be pleased. He will be delighted. And uh, I'm not guaranteeing which way that economy is going to go one way or another, but I'm confident. I think we all know we look back at that time and say, hey, we were fat, dumb, and happy. And we probably weren't prioritizing the kingdom of God in our lives the way that we could have with his prosperity. Last thing I'll say is that we should go, and there's a number of passages in the Bible about this. What might going look like? What might going look like? Uh, Going might look like being a part of a short-term trip. We may have one to uh, Clarkston, Georgia, again, to work with refugees there. There may be an opportunity to go on a trip outside the country that we're looking at. We'll let you know in future weeks uh, about those opportunities. It might mean for some of you, and the Doherty's, Derek and Laura, who we know specifically asked me to, to share this with you, if there's anybody in our congregation, young or old, that's thinking about some further involvement with global missions, they want you to come down and stay with them for a week, stay with them for two weeks, see what it looks like to be on the mission field. Go do it. Go see. Take that step of faith. Going might look like starting a ministry, like Save a Life, like Grace House, like Hoover Helps, like Blanket Fort Hope. You know what's interesting? I've mentioned it before about each of these ministries. In fact, I texted a buddy of mine to find out about Wales Global and make sure I was true on this. Everybody who started these ministries, those ones that I listed, I believe, are age 50 or older. Age 50 or older, right? Retirement doesn't mean you're on the downward slope of engaging with the kingdom of God. It might mean you've got a new opportunity to start something new. Going might mean that you uh, tell your small group or the leadership of this church that you think you might be called. Let's sit down and talk and pray about All of those things, all of those realities. We're reminded in Scripture that because we have eternal life, we can be freed up in this life to engage more of our heart and our mind and our energy in a prayer movement for missions. We're invited to be freed up so we don't have to live for the things of this life, so we can be more engaged with sending missionaries. And we're also freed up to to go, aren't we? We really are. Let's pray.